If you have a Bible, you can turn to Psalm 67. We're going to take a break this morning. We've been going through the book of 1 Peter for the past couple months. And uh, the reason we've been doing that is because uh, one of the themes of 1 Peter is, is suffering, how to respond to suffering, how to live in response to God in the midst of our suffering. And I started to feel like as, we started, as I was really preaching on suffering every single week, I, I felt like maybe some people were starting to suffer as a result of the sermons on suffering. So, so we're going to take a little bit of a break and we're going to return to 1 Peter at the end of July, beginning of August, and we're going to finish it up then. Um, but for the next few weeks, we're going to take a little bit of a break. Um, and this morning, I want to look at Psalm 67. I want to look at a passage as we are looking towards the summer, as we have a couple of teams going on mission trips in the next couple of weeks, um, as we have people serving possibly with Christian overcomers, as we are serving with, with VBS in August, as we look towards the soccer camp in July, all these different things where we are trying to, to hopefully be used by God to share Jesus with people around us. I was hoping to look at a passage that would hopefully encourage us and give us a greater vision for what God might do through us, not only in these things, but also in your everyday lives as you go to work, as you live with your families, as you interact with your neighbors. So uh, I'm going to read from uh, the entire Psalm, Psalm 67, and uh, just to remind you, the book of Psalms is a collection of poetry and prayers and, and songs that were written and then that were collected by God's people and they were used by God's people as they worshipped him. And so the words in these psalms are words that, that we as God's people are meant to feel and to believe and to take ownership for ourselves because these are the words God wants to put on our lips to, to worship him with. So listen to God's word as I read from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray now that you would help us. We need your spirit to open our eyes to see what you want to say to us this morning. We pray that, uh, that your spirit would be at work to, to help us also to be receptive to what you have to say and that and that your truth would, would mold our hearts and shape us and change us. We thank you for the fact that you are a God who speaks. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, if you want to put the first picture up there, Joanne. These uh, people are in anguish. They're devastated. You can go to the next one. They're very upset. Their dreams have been crushed. You can go to the next one. I don't know if you, you've, you've figured this out yet. But these are German soccer fans. And you can just go to the last one and leave it there. This is like the perfect one. I mean, you have the, the German flag there and the single tear just running through the flag. I mean, these people are crushed because their dreams have been shattered. Just a few days ago, Germany, the defending champions of, of the World Cup, 
uh, were knocked out of the World Cup by South Korea. Some of us are excited. Some of us are upset. But uh, you, can, you can take that down, Joanne. But uh, the, the, what I was struck by as I watched the end of that South Korea-Germany game is that the people who were just absolutely devastated, you know, just, just crying, weeping uncontrollably. And I, I don't, I don't want to offend any German soccer fans here, but if that loss by Germany, if them getting knocked out of the World Cup, effect, affects you in that way, if your dream of, this, of the Germans not winning the World Cup affects you in that way, then you need to get a bigger dream. <laughs> you need to get a bigger dream. Um, and I'm not just knocking on German soccer fans. I mean, that, that, that problem is not specific to just fans of the German soccer team. It's, it's, it's a part of all of us. Every single one of us have dreams. Every single one of us have things that we want, desires that we want. Even this week, I know that every single, have, every single one of us has things that we want to happen in our lives or in the lives of the people around us. M- maybe your dream for this week even is just to, to have success on a project that you're working, with, working on at work or uh, with a, a, an important meeting that you're having with somebody. When I, when I was younger, this is right around the time when, when kids are finishing up school, right? And my greatest dream was to, to finish school and not have any more classes and actually begin the summer, right? So most of the kids, I think all the kids are done with school at this point now that we're in July, and they're very excited about that as well. But, uh, you know, we all have these things that we dream of, these things that we want, these things. Some of us are going through pain and difficulty, and our dream is that we would have relief, that we would not have to spend any more time in a doctor's office or at the hospital. Um, Some of us have dreams of, of our kids not having to go through difficult things that they're going through. For me, sadly, my dream is just to kind of get a nap. <laughs> just have a little peace and quiet once in a while. All of us have dreams. All of us have these things that we long for, that we want in our lives. Some of them are huge, big things. Some of them are small, little things. Um, but I think God would say, you know, all those dreams, th- some of them are, are, are really good dreams. Some of them are, you know, not as big a deal. But I would say that all of those dreams, compared to the dream that God wants us to have, they pale in comparison. They don't measure up to the dream that God wants us to have, to the, to de- to the desire that God wants us to have and to be consumed by. And as I read this psalm, that's what I, I feel like one of the things I, I see is I, I, as, as I, that I feel as I read this psalm, the, the person who wrote this psalm, he has this desire that consumes him. Right? What's the desire that consumes him? What is, what is he preoccupied with? Well, you see it in verses 3 and 5, most clearly. He says it twice. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Verse 5, he says the exact same thing again. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. At the very end of the psalm in verse 7, his hope is that all the ends of the earth would fear God. At the beginning of the psalm, in verse 2, he's hoping that that God's way would be known on the earth, that, that everyone around him, everyone on the face of the earth would come to see the, the beauty and the glory of God and that they would praise him and that they would love him and that they would celebrate who he is. The psalmist was, was kind of gripped by a consuming desire that everyone around him would experience what he himself had experienced, the glory and the power and the beauty of God. 
was consumed with that, that they would experience what he had, he had experienced. Have you ever been somewhere eating something and, and you tasted something that was so good that you were like, oh, you've got to taste it. Whoever, was it, whoever you were with, you are like, you have to taste this. You have to taste this. Has that ever happened to you? Of course, you won't be surprised. When I was thinking about that this week, I immediately thought of an, ep- an episode of Seinfeld when Jerry's sitting in his apartment and Kramer comes walking in and he's holding a peach. And he's, in, he's like, they're in, Jerry! Mackinac peaches! And Jerry's like, yeah, 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 the peaches from Oregon that are only ripe two weeks out of the year. And, and uh, Kramer's like, yeah, exactly, that's right, Jerry. They're here, they're here. They, they make your taste buds come alive. It's like there's a circus in my mouth. And then he immediately he's like, Jerry, you've got to taste this. You've got to taste this. And he starts yelling at Jerry that he needs to taste the peach. And Jerry has to fight him off because he just doesn't want to taste the peach. Have you, ever, have you ever tasted something, experienced something so incredible that you're like, these people around me, they have to experience this as well. That's kind of the sense that I get from the guy who wrote this psalm. He has experienced the glory of God. He has experienced God in such a way that he's like, I want everyone around me to praise him. I want everyone around me to know him. And he's consumed with this desire, and I think this is the desire that God wants us to be consumed by as well, that our hearts would be, would be so shaped by an experience of, of the greatness of God that, that one of the primary things we want in life is the people around us, whether we know them or not, that they would experience the greatness of God as well. And, and I see three things that, that he wants people to know. Three things that, that the psalmist wants people to know that, that we should want people to know. One is, is simple. It's just the person of God. He wants people to know the ways of God in verse 2, right? And then in verse 4, he, he describes God. He says, for you judge the peoples of, with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. One of the incredible things, uh, one of the incredible messages of the Bible, of, of Christianity, is that God who has created all things, who stands above all things, who is holy, who is untouchable by us, is knowable by us. That we can know him. And he invites us to know him. We can have a relationship with him. Where we can know him, we can know his ways. We can know things about him. And we can be in relationship to him. This is an incredible thing. That God, he's not like the Wizard of Oz who's committed to standing behind the curtain, right? He invites us to come near and to know him. And that's an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. That every day of our lives we have an opportunity to know the living God, the one who sustains all things and holds all things together. And this is one of the things that the psalmist wants others to know, that God is knowable. That God is knowable. He also wants people to know the power of God. In verse 2, he hopes that all nations would know the saving power. Right? He says he wants your, your saving power to be known among all nations. Now, the Israelites were people who were very well acquainted with the saving power of God. God was constantly coming to their rescue over and over again. Throughout the Old Testament, as you read the Old Testament, you see just this constant refrain where the people of God are getting into trouble, the people of God are turning away from God, and they're suffering, and then God comes to the rescue. And he uses his power to save them. 
I mean, the, the, the big ultimate event in the Old Testament of God saving his people is when they are in Egypt in slavery and, and they cry out to God and God hears them and he sends Moses and he rescues them out of Egypt, right? He brings them into safety, but that's not where he stops saving them. He continues to save them over and over again in the wilderness as he, provi- as he provides for them. And, and then he sa- saves them over and over again as they, as they gather in the promised land and, and they have to fight off all of these enemies around them. And again, they're, they're continually turning away from him. And they're continually being oppressed by these enemies and God is continually saving them and rescuing them, using his power so that they would be okay. And then even, even in the midst of that, they continue to turn away from God and, and he brings his judgment upon them and he takes them out of the promised land into exile, but then he again, he uses his power to save them and he brings them back. And he brings them back to the promised land. God is continually saving his people. And one of the things that the people, that, that, that God was trying to get through these people's skull is that, is that the thing that, that they needed most in life is to be saved by him. And not just physically saved from, from their physical enemies, but, but most importantly, they needed to be saved from the consequences of their sin. That is our greatest need as well. We need God's power to be displayed to save us from the fact that we have all turned away from him. We've all tried to live our lives for ourselves rather than for him. And that has brought upon us dysfunction and pain and guilt and shame. And yet the message of the Bible is that God has used his power to rescue us from that. He sent his son, Jesus, and, and the life of Jesus is a demonstration of God's power over and over and over and over again. He's born of a virgin and he grows up and he, and he lives as a, as a perfectly obedient child of God, never sinning once. God's dis- power is displayed through him. And as he loves people, as he, as he changes people's lives, as he heals people, as he triumphs over demons, his power is displayed to rescue people and to set them free. But ultimately, his power is displayed as he dies on the cross. It's on the cross that God's power is displayed most clearly and perfectly because on the cross, Jesus took upon himself the judgment for our sin. And it's because Jesus took the judgment for our sin that we can be set free from the guilt of our sin, from the shame of our sin, from the power of our sin. Jesus Christ is the power of God to rescue us, to to enable us to live lives that are different now, lives of hope, lives that are real and full as we know him. That is the only way that we can know God through the power of his son Jesus and all that he did and his life and his death and his resurrection. And, And he invites us to know that power He invites us to know the power on a daily basis of the fact that he has rescued you. You are no longer separated from him, but he has brought you near and you can walk with him and you can know him. And so the the psalmist is is consumed by the desire that others would know the person of God, that others would know the power of God to be restored to him. And thirdly, that that others would know the pleasure of knowing God. As you notice in verse 4, How verse 4 starts, it says, Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let the nations be glad and sing 
for joy. And then he goes on to describe who God is. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. This is, this is a big part of the good news. Not only that God is knowable, not only that God is huge and yet he is knowable, but that he is someone we would want to know. Someone that would bring joy and gladness into our lives. Have you ever known somebody that just by hanging out with them, they bring gladness into your life? You want to hang out with them because they bring laughter into your life. Have you ever known people like that? Have you ever known people who, like when you're around them, you're just like walking on eggshells all the time, you're worried about what they're thinking of you, they're, they're constantly judging you and criticizing you, and you're, 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 they just kind of shut you down. God is the former, not the latter. To know God is to know joy and gladness. God's not just somebody that we can know, but, but somebody that you would want to know. He's the, he's the one who brings gladness and joy because he judges people with justice and he guides the nations. He is in control of all things and yet he is kind and loving and compassionate and, and guides the, the nations with wisdom and your life. This is amazing. This is incredible. And this is what the psalmist wants people to know. That, not, that, that God is knowable. That, that people can know the power of God, that they could, their lives can be changed, and that your life can be full of joy, of laughter because of who he is. That is good news. And, and, the, and the psalmist knows this. He's tasted it, and he wants everyone else to know this as well. Is this a desire of your life? Is this a consuming desire of your life? Are you preoccupied with wanting others to experience these things? I would argue that maybe if that's not a consuming desire of yours, then maybe you haven't tasted the Mackinac peach yourself. Maybe you haven't experienced walking with God in a real way, knowing him. Maybe you haven't experienced the gladness that the presence of God God brings. Maybe you haven't experienced the power of God to change your life, to make it what it's made to be. And if you're, a, if you're in that place, even if you've been coming to church for years and years, maybe this is where you need to start and just say, God, I want my life to be different than what it is. I want you to show me your power. I want you to show me what Jesus has done and why that is significant. I want you to show me how Jesus coming brings me joy. How knowing you can give me life itself. That's where maybe you need to start. But maybe this is, maybe you feel like that there is just even this, this small seed of this, this desire in your life, that you want others to experience this, you want others to know God. How is it that we need to go about helping them to know him? And there's plenty of places in the Bible that tell us, you know, the immediate reaction is, well, I need to, I need to kind of have a, have a good presentation down for people. I need to, to be able to explain who God is and explain why he is important, explain the importance of Jesus. I need to explain it to them. And, and there, you know, there, there are places in the Bible that, that tell us that we need to know how to, to, to talk about who God is and what he has done in our lives. We just looked at it in 1 Peter 3, right? Be ready to defend the hope that is in you. But that's not what Psalm 67 says, actually. Psalm 67 says that people around us will come to know who God is in a different way. And I would argue it's, it's all in verse 1. If you look at verse 1, he prays something. 
And he prays this. He says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That your way may be known on the earth. So the way that his ways are going to be known on the earth is our experience of who he is. And I would kind of describe this as, as a contagious dance. Learning to dance in such a way that it is contagious, that other people see you dancing and want to join in. Okay? I've kind of debated about whether I should share this illustration or not, but um, it's going to be kind of beyond most of you, but the younger ones will get it. Um, there's a, a very popular video game out right now, and it's called Fortnite. And if you know anybody that's kind of I get probably under 30, they are really into Fortnite. As a parent, I probably wouldn't let my younger kids play Fortnite, so I'm not recommending that you go out and encourage your kids to play Fortnite, okay? But um, everybody's playing Fortnite these days. I know, like Titus talks about, is his roommates at college playing Fortnite constantly. So Fortnite is this game where you go online with 50, 100, I don't know how many other people, a lot of people, and everybody kind of drops into this place, this area, and the job is to just try to hunt one another and shoot each other, and so that you're, you're the last one standing, okay? edifying game. So, you know, it's really hard to win. It's really hard to be the last person standing all the time. But for some reason, there's this aspect of this game where even though you're trying to, like, defend yourself and hide and shoot other people, you can actually dance during the game for some reason. I'm not sure if there's some kind of strategy to this or not, but you can actually buy all sorts of different dances. Like, when you first start playing, you get the standard dance that everybody knows. And, uh, and so when you, if you press one button, all of a sudden you start dancing and this music starts playing. It kind of gives away your position to other people. So I think it's kind of not smart. But so I was watching one of my kids play Fortnite this past week in the living room, and he was playing on a team with other people, and they were standing on top of this hill where they were gathering, gathering supplies. And so my son, for whatever reason, as he's standing there with his other teammates, he presses the button and he starts doing this dance, all right? I can't do it for you. Josh could do it for you. I'm not going to make you do it, Josh. <laughs> He starts doing this dance, and the funniest thing happened is that the other guy standing with him immediately started doing the same dance. He couldn't help himself. And so it's just this really wacky dance. It's loud music is playing, um, but this guy couldn't help himself from joining in. And the funny thing is, is I've, I've also heard people, who, kids who play Fortnite, I've seen kids who play Fortnite, they are doing these dances all the time. They can't help themselves. And, and this, is what I, this is what I think I, I see the psalmist telling us we need to learn to dance in such a way that people can't help themselves from joining in and dancing along with us. So real quick, I want to just point out three dance moves that we need to learn, okay? The first dance move has to do with grace. It has to do with grace. He says, may God be gracious to us. As I mentioned already, we've, we've all sinned. We've all turned our backs on God we deserve to be cast from God's presence. We don't deserve to be accepted and loved by God, and yet he has sent Jesus, and because of what Jesus has done, because of all that Jesus is, God loves us just as we are. That's grace. That's grace, to be loved just as I am, because I, I guarantee you, I know, I think every single one of you know, that you don't deserve to be loved just as you are because of things that you've done, because of ways that you've failed, because of ways that you failed to live as you know you should. I think deep down we know we don't really deserve to be loved just as we are, but because of Christ, because of his life and his death and his resurrection for us, God loves you just as you are. 
that is an amazing truth to take hold of and to believe. Um, just this past week, we watched uh, the documentary on Mr. Rogers. I don't know if any of you guys have seen that. It's tremendous. It is really good. While I would not recommend Fortnite, I would recommend going to see Won't You Be My Neighbor, okay? Um, there's so much in that movie that, that like, I feel like I could learn from in the way that Fred Rogers lived his life. One of the things that he had absolutely right is, is people's sense, the people's need to hear that they are loved just as they are. That was his whole life's mission. As he, as he, as, as he formed his program, as he, as he spent time with children, he wanted them to know that they were loved just as they are. And it, it, was, um, it was just so encouraging to watch that. But, but this is the thing that was kind of missing from the movie, is that the, the problem is that just as we are is, is not enough for God to love us. And so... In order to experience the grace of God, we need to cling to Jesus. And because of Jesus, we can know, though, that we are loved just as we are. We can hear the message of Mr. Rogers. You are loved just as you are. When you know that you're loved just as you are, it does set you free to live your life in a different way. Doesn't it? It gives you security and confidence. It keeps you from having to perform for people around you. When you know that you were loved just as you are. You don't have to impress other people. And the other thing that when, when you know that you were loved just as you are and you've experienced grace in this way, it actually enables you to love people that way. To love people the way that Fred Rogers loved people. And that was inspiring to me. And I think that as we live our lives among people and they see that we have this security and this confidence of knowing that we are okay just as we are because even with all of our, all of our warts and all of our sin, and as we love people that way, that is a dance that people won't help, be able to help themselves from, from being drawn to and want to join in on, okay? So we need to learn the dance step of grace. We need to learn... The second one, I use the word grain. The dance step of grain. Um, what is, in, in verse 1, he says, may God bless us. But then down in verse 6, if you skip down to verse 6, he says, the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. In, in the time of, of the, the Israelites, one of the, the clear ways that the people saw God's blessing and saw his provision for them is the way that he provided for the harvest the way that he provided for the crops and the grain. Um, and so the second dance step has everything to do with, with trusting God to provide everything that we need. Being people who know that God's going to come through for us, who know that God's going to give us everything that we need, just like the Israelites back then had to trust God to provide for the grain to grow and be produced. And so the second dance step has to do with it, and this is totally tied to what it means to be blessed. That we are confident that God is going to bless us by giving us what we need. That doesn't mean that he's going to give us um, just incredible wealth and, and the ability to live in luxury. That means that as we live our days, that God is going to give us what we need for that day. Even for those of us who are struggling and in pain and dealing with suffering, it's being confident that God is going to, to sustain me and get me through this. God is going to provide what I need. And again, this is a dance step, I think, that, that is very, very distinct from the world because the world says, I need to depend on myself. I need to provide for myself. 
And as we learn to be people who are like, I'm just going to trust God, and I know that he's going to come through. That shows itself in the way that we live our lives, in the, way that, in the things that we don't worry about, in the lack of anxiety in our lives. And again, that's a, that's a dance step, I think, that people will be drawn to as we look to God and God alone as the one who's going to provide for all of our needs and bless us. And that brings me to the last st- dance step, which is God himself. Verse 1 says, May God make his face shine upon us. May God make his face shine upon us. This is the ultimate joy. It comes back to the first point. God's face shining on us is, is, a, is a way to talk about the experience of the very presence of God. The very presence of God. When he talks about, may God's face shine upon us. He's saying, may we experience God's presence today, now. And this is what will transform us more than anything else. If, if we become people who know that God is with us and that God being with us is the only thing that we need in life. Everything else can be taken away. But if God is with me, if his face is shining on me, then that is what I need. And I'm going to be okay. So if you are in a hospital bed, it doesn't matter because that's just another location where you're able to experience the very presence of God. If you are in the midst of chaos in your home or in the workplace, it's just another location that you can experience the very presence of God and his face shining upon you. We need to be people who are confident because of Christ that God is present and that he is with us. And that is the only thing that we need. As we become people who learn how to dance to grace and the the blessing of grain, that that he's going to give us what we need, and the blessing of God's presence himself, that in and of itself is what will cause us to shine, what will draw people to him, to, to want to praise him as well. So verse 1 prays that we experience God's grace and his blessing and his presence and as a result he will be known and people will praise him. And I pray that this would become our consuming desire this summer for those of us who are going out, for those of us who are helping with the the camps, VBS soccer camp, for those of us who are just plugging along, going to the office, having dinner with people, talking with people, talking with strangers, that, that our light as we learn to dance would bring joy to other people and draw them to God as well. Um, I watched a, a funny movie a little while ago called uh, Daddy's Home. Again, this one would not be one I would recommend, but it was pretty funny. It was pretty funny. It was a Will Ferrell movie. If you like Will Ferrell movies, Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg are both in the movie, and they're, they're dads. The Will Ferrell is the stepdad. Mark Wahlberg is the original biological dad. And, and they kind of, the movie's about them kind of having this rivalry and trying to compete for the, the affection of the children. And, and Mark Wahlberg is this really cool, tough guy. And Will Ferrell is kind of this nerdy guy who does all the parenting things right. And so throughout the movie, they, they have all sorts of conflict and struggle. And, but by the end, they've kind of reconciled and, and they've kind of appreciate one another and respect one another and even care about one another. And the end of the movie, the reason I, I actually loved this movie is because of the end of the movie. Um, it was totally surprising to me. They, they actually, they both go to the daddy-daughter dance for the daughter. And they're at the daddy-daughter dance and somehow one of the kids offends another kid and so that kid's parent comes up and starts yelling at them. And, uh, and so what the, the, the other parent does, he, he just punches Mark Wahlberg in the face. 
And Will Ferrell's like, oh, you shouldn't have done that. I'm pretty sure that guy kills people for a living. <laughs> and Mark, Mark Wahlberg, immediately he, he clenches his fist and he's ready to punch this guy as hard as he can. But then he looks around and he sees the children looking at him. And he sees all the other adults looking at him. He sees his own kids looking at him. And he thinks about what he's learned from Will Ferrell's father character. And then he just starts to dance. <laughs> and Will Ferrell's like, Will Ferrell turns to the, to the other dad and he's like, you just got served, man, you just got served. And the guy's like, what, I didn't get served, what are you talking about? And then the other guy doesn't know what to do and then he's just like, well, she starts dancing too. <laughs> and then everybody starts dancing at the dance and there is joy everywhere. May that be the type of people we are that we would be people who know how to dance to the grace of God and to his presence in our lives that other people would join in and that they would say, praise him, praise him. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would help us this, this morning to, to take hold of this, this psalm and uh, this desire, that, that your desire for, for your glory to be shared and to be shown to everyone around us, that, that it would take hold of us, that we would shine your light, that the world might see the glory of the risen King and the way that he has loved us, the way that he has changed us. Father, we, we, we pray that the whole earth would be full of your glory and that you would teach us today, even a little bit, you would teach us how to dance. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.